0: Welcome to the Plexus Presidential Podcast Series. We're excited to have Dr. Sue Stubner, president of Colby Sawyer College, as our guest. Welcome to the Plexus Podcast Series. And today we have Dr. Sue Stubner from Colby Sawyer College. How are you doing today?
1: Doing well, thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, it's great to have you. And let's go ahead and start off. Let's start from the beginning. Uh, take us through a little bit of your background and, you know, a good place that we always like to start um, are mentors. You know, who are the mentors that shaped your journey to the presidency at Colby Sawyer? Great.
1: Yeah, I've really been fortunate to have some terrific mentors in my life and, um, you know, happy to talk about some of those folks. I went to, did my graduate work at Harvard and I had kind of the dream team for my dissertation committee there. I was a teaching fellow for a guy named Jim Honan, one of our professors who was a guru about finances and nonprofits. And so I learned a ton from him just about the finances of higher education. I also had on my committee Judy McLaughlin who studies the presidency and leadership and learned an amazing amount from her and Dick Chate was my chair of the committee and he is a governance um, guru and he knows just a ton about boards and leadership and higher education trends in general and and all three were I learned a lot from the content areas that they each were sub you know uh, experts in but I also learned a lot from them. They, they were really encouraging to me just in, in what I was studying, which was the sustainability of regional and private liberal arts colleges. After Harvard, I had two incredible bosses who gave me a lot of opportunity. They both were named Jim, so I called them Lycoming Jim and Allegheny Jim. Um, I spent 10 years at Lycoming College in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. Uh, with a guy named Jim Douthit who spent 24 years there. And while he was there, he took the endowment from 14 million to 180 million. An amazing fiscally conservative guy who really transformed the place and gave the institution a, a chance for really uh, exponentially better future. And so I learned an enormous amount from him and he gave me A number of opportunities while I was at at Lycoming, um, kind of kept adding to my portfolio and and that was a great opportunity to learn a lot about different aspects of the institution, which really served me well today as I think about my work in the presidency. And then Allegheny Jim, uh, Jim Mullen, uh, he, he was an extraordinary relationship builder and fundraiser. And that's such a big part of the work that we do in the presidency. And so just watching him make those connections, not only with donors, but with faculty and all the different constituencies that we have to work with in higher ed learned a ton. And then finally, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about two folks that have been great mentors since I've started the presidency, which are the two board chairs I've had a chance to work with. One would be Pete Volanakis who, Um, In his career was the president of Corning and retired and lives up the road in Hanover, New Hampshire, and he was the head of the search committee that hired me and then ended up being board chair for four years. And then Lisa uh, Hogarty, who is a class of 81, and she serves as the senior vice president for real estate planning and development at Boston Children's Hospital, and we've made a pivot into the nursing and health sciences uh, area, and she's been great uh, in her last two years. So two folks who've been really critical mentors and advisors while I've been in the presidency as well.
0: So you would mentioned a couple of words um, that are so important in higher education, uh, especially nowadays, you mentioned sustainability. Um, and the other thing that, that you have done, and you had mentioned one of your mentors excelled at this as well, is increase the endowment. Uh, but can you talk to us about, you know, what's most important about sustainability? Uh, You know, Colby Sawyer has been around 180 plus years. So, you know, they have persevered through tough times and it's a saturated market, but what's most important from a sustainability standpoint?
1: I think what's most important from a sustainability standpoint is really being able to distinguish yourself in the marketplace. You can't, Unfortunately, in today's world, the regional liberal arts institution cannot be kind of plain vanilla. You have to have something that really distinguishes you from other institutions. And so in 2019, um, Colby Sawyer made the decision to make a pivot into the nursing and health sciences fields. We've had a long-term relationship with Dartmouth-Hitchcock since 1980. We've been kind of known as their nursing school. And about a quarter of our graduates our nurses and they do their clinical rotations up at Dartmouth Hitchcock. But in 2019, we formalized this partnership uh, even even more than where it's been. Where we're offering workforce development at an associates level for some of their apprenticeship programs. Um, we are increasing our nursing program at the undergraduate level, just trying to help them with their workforce development needs. And then we're also working on a number of master's degree programs that are of interest to them. Um, The the MSN, of course, an accelerated BSN program, um, an RN to BS completion program, and an respiratory therapy to BS completion program. And all of these are things that are hopefully helping them with some workforce needs, but also distinguish us in the marketplace in terms of being a strong liberal education core that has um, a focus on the health sciences as well.
0: So I noticed you have some some pictures behind you. Are you in your office right now?
1: (laughs) I am in my office right now, yeah.
0: Can you talk to us about maybe some of those pictures that stand out or memories that you have? I see a soccer picture up there. I see a group of maybe students or faculty members or other behind you. Talk to us about those
1: sure absolutely um, well in the upper let's see if i can point here on zoom here um, this plant uh up here on the corner was actually given to me by we have an early learning lab school on campus and where our child development students can gain some really valuable experience um, and my first day of the presidency, this the students from the Early Learning Lab School came over and gave me this plant, and I'm pleased to say it's still alive after six years, which is somewhat of a miracle given my history with plants. Um, so that's that's just a special one to me because they were such a cute group of of little ones that that came over. Um, this piece, the big piece right behind me, um, every spring uh, my wife and i get a chance to pick a a piece of art out of the senior art show the presidential purchase and so my my office is actually filled with pieces of student art and it's really fun just to look around the room and remember those students and you know the conversations we had around the the pieces that we purchased Um, so those are some of the things that i get a chance to look at each day
0: that's great So you've done one of the many things that you've been able to accomplish is, you know, a pretty dramatic increase in fundraising at the institution. So, you know, let's tie together the differentiators that you shared, right? It's really important to truly differentiate yourself as an institution. I would imagine part of fundraising and being able to bring in dollars is explaining how you're different and why you're different in the trajectory of the institution Can you talk to us about your fundraising strategy and how you've been so successful?
1: Sure. Uh, You know, we're really fortunate that, uh, first of all, I think fundraising is a team sport. You know, it's really, uh, I get to come in near the end of the process and have conversations with really interesting people who uh, tend to, already have talked with folks in our development team about the college and about where we're going and, and then you know, make that final ask. But you know, it's really a team sport in terms of building relationships over time. And we've got some of the best in the business at building relationships and, and really helping people stay current with what's happening at, at Colby-Sawyer. In addition to the health sciences pivot, um, we revamped our liberal education core a couple of years ago. So that's always a, a piece of the conversation for folks who are not interested per se in the health sciences per se. Um, but I think what people are really interested in is that we do have a sense of direction and that our students are graduating and, and you know, getting hired. Our placement rate was um, 98% within six months. Um, so we're really proud of that. And I think there's just something, you know, a lot of the folks that, that do tend to give to Colby Sawyer, this past year we were fortunate enough to receive our largest gift in school history, a $10.2 million gift for our endowment. And that it went to scholarship and went to endowed chairs to our faculty. And, you know, fi- financial aid and our faculty are really two core pieces of, of our success. And so um, it's also finding what resonates with those donors that are also needs for the institution. And we were really fortunate that 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 gift came through. Um, And that's really propelled another part of that $10.2 million gift is a challenge to other donors to give to scholarships. And, And so it's really propelled the endowment forward in important ways.
0: So 98% placement rates, that is off the charts. I mean, that is amazing. You know, and so how do you, when you talk about preparing students for a career today, but also a career 10 years from now for jobs that may not even exist, how yeah. do you do that?
1: I think there's two, two aspects to that. You know, we we require an internship of every student here at Colby Sawyer, and we also require a, a senior capstone project. And 50% of our students get a job offer from their internship site. So that's one one component that has really been positive for for our students. They get a chance to get out in the real world, really apply not only the major courses, but also those liberal ed courses where they're forced to think and, and communicate and learn new things and apply what they've learned in the classroom. Um, So the internship is a really important component, and then the capstone also requires them to find something they're passionate about and put all those pieces together, and then it gives them something very concrete for that first job interview to talk about besides the internship of this is something meaningful that I've done during my academic career. So that's something I think that helps prepare them for that first job. And then the liberal education core is essential for being able to learn um, new skills. Uh, Everyone has to be able to be a lifelong learner to be successful today because jobs change all the time. There was no handbook in in any part of my education about how to deal with a pandemic (laughs) as one example. Um, You just constantly have to go with what's being thrown at you and Um, And I think that's why we're so committed to keeping that liberal education core um, strong and relevant for our students so that they can be lifelong learners in addition to being prepared for that first job.
0: And so I know online education is a part of your uh, program mix and it's modality that's offered by Colby Sawyer. So how do you make sure that your mission The relationships that you form and build, how do you make sure that that resonates for students that are online? And also, what what are your growth plans as far as online?
1: It's a really good question. You know, I think um, we don't look at it and say we we want to be an online institution per se. I think it's really where does it fit best, and where it's fit best for us is in the graduate and the adult learner space. Um, We do allow our undergraduates to take one or two courses online just to to be able to maybe keep up with their studies or to take a course that might not be offered at another time. But we really feel the face-to-face instruction is is the best mode for our undergraduates. Now, for graduates and for adult learners, they're really looking for convenience and for you know, how can I get through this and juggle it with everything else that I have on my plate with work and family and other obligations. So we do have online courses, our MSN is online. Um, We're looking at some incremental growth in um, the health sciences, some of the programs that Dartmouth-Hitchcock has requested, some that we think that there's a market for, and, and third just you know where where do we think that we can fill the, the courses and so we' are looking at a doctorate of nursing practice we're looking at a master's of Social Work and we're looking at master's of science and exercise science um, and those will, those would will all be online and in eight week increments so that the student learner really can kind of tailor it to what other other things that they're juggling um, We do have a master's in business administration that we just started and that is in its first year and an accelerated bsn program but those are both on ground Um, and primarily because of the pedagogy uh, there's a significant capstone project for the mba and um, there's awful awful lot of clinical work as you can imagine for the accelerated bsn Um, so it's really about Kind of figuring out which pedagogy works best for which program. Um, so we we're pleased to have a mix um, rather than being all or, or or nothing.
0: And so you know we talk about and, and from what I've heard as far as placement rates and preparing students through internships and capstone, et cetera. Talk to us a little bit about community. You know why is community important? Um, you know, in New London, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. talk about building bridges with businesses and how how you help each other out, how you support the community and how the community supports you.
1: Yeah, it's really a wonderfully supportive community in terms of Colby Sawyer being a, a part of it. Um, I've been in a number of, of towns and cities where um, the colleges are located and um, this this area by far is probably the most supported that I've ever seen. Um, we do a lot of experiential learning, not just in the internship, but also just in in regular courses. And so our students are often out in the community doing real world projects for pro- for for profit and nonprofit entities in town. And you know, uh, for a nonprofit who does short staffed. To have a team of students to come in that are juniors or seniors that can really offer some significant expertise to help them with a a defined project. They're so so grateful um, to have that that help and the students really take it seriously and um, they learn an enormous amount at the same time so it's really a win-win for everyone involved. the other thing that's not very well known is that in New Hampshire, um, it's one of the few states in the country where you pay taxes as a, an institution of higher education. So mm-hmm. we are also the largest taxpayer in town. Um, so that is something that gets people's attention and I do um, remind folks of occasionally. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the community really wants us to do well. Um, and wants us to thrive because we are a small town and so there's there's genuine interest in in the community members wanting to see us do well.
0: So you know such an amazing history you know continuing to grow continuing to thrive Um, you know with an 180 year plus history this I'm projecting a little bit forward. This question really talks about maybe the next five or 10 years, but if you want to take it to 15 or 20, that's fine. But where do you see Colby Sawyer in five years, (laughs) in 10 years and so on?
1: Yeah, you know, I think we will, we will always be an institution that is committed to the combination of liberal education and pre-professional majors for our undergraduates. You know, what, what those majors are, I think will, Continue to evolve a bit over time. Um, the nursing and health sciences pivot is extraordinarily relevant. The, the numbers on the need for nurses and health science, health science professionals right now between retirements and then just fatigue from the current pandemic um, are staggering. And so, um, you know, we'll continue to do our part in trying to prepare folks in that area. Um, But, you know, I, we will still have a broad array of majors, um, you know, business and psychology and exercise science and child development and, and art, you know, all of these things are still important to us. I think where we'll see the greatest change over the next five to 10 years is what we offer for graduate and adult learners. Um, You know, I think, Again, kind of taking an incremental approach to seeing what the market demands and where we can fit in there and and help out. Um, But uh, I think at the core, we will always still be that undergraduate institution focused on um, combining the liberal arts with with pre-professional majors that prepare students for that first job.
2: Fascinating history of Colby Sawyer. So, if you don't mind, tell our listeners a little bit. You all have been around since the Civil War, so I'm sure. I think we all would love to learn a little bit about the history of Colby Sawyer through the before the Civil War, after the Civil War, through the Civil War, all the way up to here. Yeah. So, anything you'd like to share, it'll, it'll be fascinating.
1: Sure. So, you know, the the college has been around a, a long time. We started as an academy. And um, we're we an academy for many years. Um, we then became a two-year institution for all women for for many decades, and um, offered you know a small array of of um, majors. A lot of uh, women who came, you know, uh, did secretarial. Preparation, um, But even then, it was interesting, you know, now with our, our pivot to health sciences, we had a, a really uh, nationally known med, med tech program in the 40s, 50s, and, and really through the 70s. Um, that was uh, a three-year program, so, so, so students in that program stayed an extra year. Um, we then became a four-year institution for all for women in the in the 60s, um, and then in the 80s uh, under President Peggy Stock, um, you know we had fallen on enrollment um, retention and had to make a really big decision about coeducation, and um, it was decided in the, the late 80s that you know, it was best for Colby Sawyer's future to admit men as well as women. And so we've been a four-year institution that's co-ed. Um, the first class of men graduated in 1994. Um, and so we're, we're still heavily, more heavily skewed to women. We're about 70% women, 30% men. Um, the nursing also kind of skews that, unfortunately, even though it's a great major for men, um, we tend to see more women in that field, um, but that's kind of where we've been and, and uh, how we got here today.
2: Well, I think nationally, when it comes to post-secondary education, uh, even traditionally co-ed universities uh, skill more women uh, these days as well. Uh, Absolutely. In um, so very interested in your history. I I know you've had multiple executive positions, so walk us through, you know, your journey from, you know, Harvard grad school, the the wonderful PhD that you've done on dissertation, all the way to the presidency. What what, what does that journey look like?
1: Sure. Well, I actually started my career as a head basketball coach and admission counselor at (laughs) Albright College in Reading, Pennsylvania. And... I, I went to Dartmouth as an undergraduate, um, was a psychology major, and did a creative writing senior thesis and played basketball there. And um, I had worked in the admissions office for Tuck Business School, and so I was I thought I was going to apply for, for admission jobs, but... I got a call from Albright and they asked if they could put me in this other pile as head basketball coach and admission counselor. And at 22, that sounded great. And uh, so I spent my days driving to New Jersey and then come racing back for practice. And um, it was a great opportunity for me to confirm that higher education was where I wanted to be um it can it opened my eyes to the power of small colleges for for individuals that were strong students in high school but maybe were had a older brother that might have overshadowed them or just hadn't reached their full potential yet and um albright at the time this was in the early 90s Um, had actually was right on the brink of financial exigency and and coming from Dartmouth with so many resources, I went off to graduate school with the question, and it's a question that has really been the core of my work of how do we make sure that the liberal arts model of of educating students isn't only available for the institutions with the most money or the individuals with the most money. Um, And so... I studied um, regional liberal arts colleges while I was at Harvard and and, um, learned a tremendous amount there. While I was at Lycoming, so Lycoming was my first position after I graduated from Harvard. And um, I actually did a a couple case studies and Lycoming was one of those case studies. And I had interviewed Jim Douthat four times for the, the project And he called me up and said, I have this job that I'm looking for someone, Um, do you have any friends up there that might want to come down and it was an institutional planning position and it was on the senior cabinet and I said well gosh it sure sounds good, Um, um, I'm happy to come down and talk with you so that. and then he just kept adding more to my portfolio. By the time that I left, I was the uh, VP for administration and planning with finance and HR and physical plant and accreditation and athletics, um, institutional research and planning. Um, kind of a motley crew, but a really broad-based uh, look at the institution, which again, you know, just really core areas that helped me. And I I chaired a couple committees where they were faculty governance committees that helped me really learn how to to interact with faculty which not coming up from the faculty side has been critical. Um, And then Jim had been there for 24 years and he was retiring and it felt like the right time for me to go as well at the end of those 10 years. And then I really lucked out with the Executive Vice Presidency at Allegheny. It was a really unique position that Jim Mullen had crafted. He was in the second five years of his time there. And he had asked the board for to in order for him to do more fundraising, if the administrative vice presidents could report to the Executive Vice President instead of him. So I got to practice a number of pieces of the presidency by supervising everybody except for the provost. Um, the provost and I were the two direct reports to Jim. Um, and, you know, it was an unusual model. You know, the, the, the VP for advancement would remind me almost every meeting that every one of her peers reported to the president and not to the executive vice president. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think over time I, I earned folks trust. and. Um, was able to still assure them that they would have access to gym too, but it was great to to tackle all these tough issues and have a president down the hall that you could still ask questions and and kind of work collaboratively with. So, and at both Lycoming and Allegheny, I had the opportunity to work a lot with the board of trustees with various committees, and that really also helped me because um, that's a huge part of the presidency is is working with your board and on the, on different issues so I was only at Allegheny for three years and the Colby Sawyer position came up early in my third year and I knew of it um, because Peggy Stock had come and talk talked to my class at at, uh, um, at Harvard and I knew we passed it numerous times um, on the bus for basketball and um, I just I knew it was an institution that might possibly consider a non-academic, and Jim was, to his credit, was incredibly encouraging, and and that's how I landed here uh, six years ago.
2: What a journey. Incredible. (laughs) So, um, you know, I'm guilty as charged. I'm a... Philosophy major, and my parents almost had a heart attack when I switched from <laughs> to philosophy to liberal arts. So, a big, big fan of the liberal arts. Now, you know, Brad knows that I've asked this question of every president, which is why not require an internship from day, from night, from freshman all the way through senior as part of the curriculum? and you're the first president who's actually come out and said, we actually have a program in internship. So uh, I would be fascinated to to hear more about that program. And I'm sure our listeners would be fascinated. Does this apply uh, to every student? Uh, Is it voluntary? How, How does it work?
1: Sure. No, it's required of every student. Um, A lot of them will do it during their uh, summer after their junior year, although we have some that will do one the summer after their sophomore year, and then also um, do another one, a second one after their junior year. Um, It's, you know, they get academic credit for it, so there's reflection papers that are required so that they're thinking about what they're doing um, and not just There to showing up each day there's there's a reflection component so that they're really thinking about how the courses that they've had and uh, what they enjoy and um, what they're learning on the job. um, You know, there's a reflection component. Um, We did start um, early in my presidency. Uh, a fund for students um, who, we, we have 40% of our students are first in their family to, to go to college here at, at Colby Sawyer. And um, and we also give out about $25 million in financial aid. So it's not it's not a student body that is flush. And we knew that there were some students who were turning down great opportunities because they, just didn't have the resources for housing or for travel or that kind of thing. So we have started an internship um, fund that has funded a a number of students to do some great things um, where they can go to DC and work with a Senator or they go out. um, Some of our athletic training students have gone out to Stanford in the summer. Um, They've gone, some of our nursing students have gone other places in the United States to see a different type of hospital. Um, They can really take the funds anywhere that they get that internship. So that's been a great component of it as well. Um, You know, my dream would be to be able to provide funding for every student, but that's a pretty big endowment (laughs) that we don't have yet. But um, there is, you know, at least about 30 students each, each cycle get something. So that's great. Um, And, you know, it's, we find that those students come back and are really transformed after all of our students after their internship again, because they, they just start to make connections between how it all fits together. Um, The liberal arts component, the major parts and, and what they like to do. And sometimes they learn that they really don't like what they thought and that that's equally as important. Um, and, you know, they still have time to kind of pivot and and change course. Um, so it's it's been a really rewarding program. And as I mentioned, so many of them get a job offer um, so that they can then go into their senior year with some uh, ability to really focus on their capstone rather than having to to look for a job at the same time of, of while they're um, carrying so much that senior year.
2: If you don't mind, can, can, can I ask a few following questions? Because it's, it's incredible what you all are doing. Um, so if someone is an English major, or humanities major, how do they find an internship? Do, do, do you all actively help them find that internship? And do they get credit for doing that internship as well? Academic credit?
1: Yes, they do get academic credit. And then we have, um, there's kind of two sources that our students find jobs. One is through our our, our Harrington Center, which is our our career services or career placement center. They do a lot um, in terms of uh, just pushing out openings to students. Um, And then our faculty often know of opportunities as well, they might know what previous students have done and been able to point students in the right direction of of just how to network and contact previous students or alums. um, or have connections themselves so between our faculty and the Harrington Center uh, the career services area um, that's how they really find them.
2: Yes. So amazing. Um, and and it's really a true differentiator. I, 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 do, you, do you have any numbers as far as what percentage of your graduates actually end up you know continuing in the job?
1: I just know that fifty like fifty one percent get a job offer. You know, I don't know how many of them end up accepting that offer. I think a fair number of them do. Um just again, because it's it's the for convenience sake, if nothing else, um, you know, the, having the, the having that all tied up by the time you're uh, starting your senior year is a real gift for those students, um, unless they figured out that that's not the direction that they wanted to go. Um, and sometimes, you know they have, um, if they've done an internship, their sophomore and their junior year, they might have more than one offer to consider. So, um, uh, you know, it's 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 a nice situation for our students. Um, and even if they don't get a job offer, having done the internship, um, you know, the whole process of having to have done a resume and and interview and um, do the work during the internship you know, it gives them something really concrete that they can talk about in a job interview um, when they get to that point. So we feel it's a win-win um, whether they get the job offer right away or not.
2: Absolutely, it's, it's definitely a differentiator. And, and has this been around the, before you or is, was it started by you? What was the history of that uh, program?
1: You know, JP, it's a really good question that I don't know the answer to. It's been around for quite some time. Um, It's, you know, I think we've all, we've, we have long been an experientially based institution. And so I think the the internship is a natural um, extension of that. And so um, it's been around for, uh, you know, I think at least several presidencies as far as I know.
2: I I love it. This is definitely a a construct that you all have operationalized pretty well, it sounds like, and and also the capstone. So not a lot of schools have capstones anymore. It takes a lot of academic um, intention. It takes a lot of time. Uh, Certainly the UC systems where I, my wife, my daughter, our family went to cannot afford, doesn't have the bandwidth to do that for every student, but it's extremely valuable. So do you mind talking a little bit about the value of capstone and and, and what it does academically uh, and professionally for students?
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm so grateful that it's something that we require here. It's it's really this amazing culmination of the students' work and they get to figure out what they wanna study that they really love within their major. And um, some of them are group-based. A lot of them are individually-based. Um, our Our business students do a, a simulation where they are, owners of an air airline company and their capstone ends with a presentation to stockholders at the end of uh, several quarters. And, um, you know, we, we have a full day off of classes where you can go around and hear all the presentations from all the different majors. And And that one's always packed. So the room is full and um, our, our studio art folks do, Kind of a reflection of of their art throughout the four years and how it's evolved and how it's changed you know students in our creative and professional writing or or history and political science um, areas often do really substantial papers and give reports on that um, so there's not only the preparation piece, but then they have to give a presentation about it as well. Um, And again, it's another concrete piece that they can talk about when they get to that job interview um, of of work that they've done. Um, We, again, because of our partnership with Dartmouth-Hitchcock, we have biology students that are actually doing research in their labs up there on, you know, cancer research and really powerful stuff. And, um, you know, for those students that are interested in going into graduate school, um, it really propels them forward in, the, in amazing ways. So um, it's, it's a really, again, I, I love seeing the growth of the, the change between when they arrive as first years to that, um, we call it scholars symposium day where I try to hit every single major that day if I can. And um, it's just extraordinary what our students are doing. And I, I would put them up against anyone because they're, they're commu- great communicators and they've really done some nice work um, in those capstones.
2: Even the nursing students do capstone?
1: Yep, even the nursing students do capstones. And they work with, they usually do them in groups just because of time. And they will work with either, um, we have a local hospital here that's an affiliate of Dartmouth-Hitchcock, or they work with Dartmouth-Hitchcock. And they often will look at a a policy or a practice that they think might need um, to be tweaked a little bit. Um, and then they give advice back to the hospital on what they find, and again, it's for college seniors to be doing that, and to actually um, presenting back to the hospital is such a valuable experience, and, um, you know, it takes, takes courage, and it also takes a lot of training and and they used all their academic prep um, to really think about um, those different policies and practices.
2: It's amazing. I mean, if you you have nurses who have a chance to think intellectually about various aspects, creating empathy, understanding the different modalities they have to work in, um, and it's not just, you know, just learning a profession, but learning all the soft skills that goes around it um, is very unique. Uh, Now, since you've done your dissertation on liberal arts colleges, and and smaller colleges, it sounds like. So um, New Hampshire has experienced uh, over 20% drop in population, I believe the last 10 years. And the trajectory uh, given the fact of the Lower fertility rate in the last, uh, the enrollment, so called enrollment cliff that's coming up is going to impact you all even more. Right. So, w- which one of these do you see negatively if impacting institutions, especially smaller institutions in you know, more remote or distant rural areas? So, you have the enrollment cliff, you have the decline in community college transfer students by 26%, again, the last you know, few years. COVID-19 and experience, and then the perception of the college degree. I mean, with those four, I mean, there's there's probably a, a, 10 more things to add. But yeah. just, just as starters, how, how do you see the next 10 years with all this macro uh, issues kind of percolating up and you as a president have to deal with?
1: Yeah, I think, again, the enrollment cliff is the one that scares, I think, me the most, just in terms of, um, you know, 80% of our students come from New England and 40% from New Hampshire. Um, And so just being able to to remain competitive and to, you know, to be able to continue to recruit and uh, retain students uh, over four years is really going to be crucial for us. It's one of the reasons why we did make the pivot is we feel like that, you know, again, kind of differentiates us a little bit. Um, we're thinking about other partners for some of our other majors, um, although, uh, you know, again, Dartmouth-Hitchcock has internships and, and positions for non-nursing and health sciences that we've also expanded to, which has been great as well. Um, the COVID uh, issue is is a real puzzler, um, you know, there, there are just fewer students suddenly um, wanting to go to college, and and I think that's a real puzzle of how do we keep those students engaged and on track and, you know, continuing from high school into college, you know, at, hopefully at some point this pandemic will be um, something that's a, a little bit more normalized and, and we can um, get back to the things that really make college life come, to life come to life for students. You know, this fall, our positivity rate was really low. And so we were able to have um, just wonderful energy on campus. And so how do we communicate that energy to the high school student who has been learning online for the last two years and may not realize how the, the benefits of, of going to a four-year college and, and that the internships and how capstones and these things that they may not have any interest in as a 17 or 18 year old, or want to take the time to really understand how much they'll propel them forward. Um, so I think we have to get really good at telling our story. I think we have to get, we, we've, invested more in marketing in the last couple of years so that we can really make sure that folks know our brand in the area and in the region. And we're trying to slowly increase our footprint of um, where we recruit so that we can hopefully combat some of the cliff that we know is coming.
2: Well, any other other aspect of Colby's story you would like to share with our listeners?
1: I don't think so you guys have asked wonderful questions, and you know I think it's just like so many small colleges it's a really special place our faculty. Um, work so hard with our, our students and our staff are deeply committed and and there's a real sense of community here that it's just it's a it's an incredible privilege to be the President of, of Colby Sawyer and. Um, hopefully i've given you folks a, a little bit of a flavor for who we are.
2: I am excited. I'm so excited about what Kobe Sawyer is doing. It is methodical, it is intentful, and a lot of hard work is going through it. Thank you so much for your time today.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Absolutely, thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. For more information on Plexus, please visit us at plexus.com forward slash solutions. That's P-L-E-X-U-S-S dot com forward slash solutions. Or you can email us at podcast at plexus.com.